He's the Monty Nitskowski Coaching Award winner in 2019. That's given by USA Water Polo to the top men's coach in the country. Um, he's also been the Bill Barnett Distinguished Coaching Award winner in 2014. And he's the five-time CIF Southern Section Daily uh, Coach of the Year for the Daily News. Um, there's too much, actually, to talk about with your credentials. So here he is. This is the Leland Stanford University Cardinal men's water polo team head coach, Brian Flax. Brian, thank you for talking with me again. Yeah, thanks for having me. We uh, talked about a month ago, and I completely screwed up the recording. I've never done that before. I have to say, I'm just putting that out there. I messed it up. So Coach is indulging me with some his, some of his time here. So I very much appreciate it. Um, um, okay, Brian. Well, you know your coaching credentials. They speak for themselves. You've been experienced at a you know for a long time. You've been on the radar for so long, and. Um, uh, you took this job over a month ago at Stanford University. Um, is there anything that you think you need to brush up on in order to succeed as a collegiate program director, as opposed to you know somebody who's been working for an extraordinarily successful high school program for for many years? Yeah, um, um, <clears throat> there's a couple answers to that I'm sure there's plenty. I feel like I've already learned a lot in my first few weeks here. Uh, I'm going to set the water polo stuff aside because. Obviously, that is, um, there's, I'm sure, plenty to learn. There's always, I feel like I'm always learning the water polo tactics skills. But I, uh, coming into a new job, um, obviously, new, a new institution, and there's a, a massive institution with a ton of complexities. So there's, that's part of it, learning, learning Stanford and just the different parts of it. Um, second is recruiting. I haven't had to officially recruit yet. So, Got on the recruiting trail pretty quickly once I passed my NC2A uh, recruiting test. Oh, yeah, we talked about that, right? Yes, yeah. I think I was taking it the last time we, we took. So I, I did pass. I Good passed. for you. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then obviously there's tons of rules and new compliance stuff. Um, but um, I don't know. That's one of the fun parts about the job is you get to feel like you're challenged to get everything. Obviously, I loved my time at Harbor West, like loved every second of it, but uh, I was really excited for change and, and to be pushed kind of in a different way. So excited to be up here. Go back to uh, how you found out. Um, it's an interesting story. Uh, how did you find out the job was open? And then I suppose you should make mention of, of basically, you know, everybody knows this is a choice job, but maybe not for everybody. Maybe it wasn't for you either. Um, but what have you been off? Maybe you've been offered other jobs in the past and this one popped out. Like, tell us a little bit of a, a, explicitly about how you found out about it, how you applied and what you were thinking the entire process. Yes. I, was, I don't think I'll ever forget when I first found out. So I had been at home. Uh, actually, my fiance was on a trip, so she was gone. And I set my phone down and my phone would not stop buzzing. It was a Tuesday and I you know, I, I try, I try to be really good as I'm sure most of us do, to put, put your phone away when you get home. So you can, you know, like re relax, uh, kind of close the day. And I picked up my phone and I probably had 30 text messages from just different people. Uh, I told coach Vargas when I saw him, it was one of the best kept secrets ever. I mean, in our community, things could get out quickly and no one knew that this was going to happen. So, uh, was was really in complete shock, and and obviously things progressed really quickly from there. Uh, after that day, I think it was less than three weeks before I was offered the job, and then I was up there in three and a half weeks. I fully moved up to Stanford, so it was a it kind of been a whirlwind. Um, 
the second part, I, I forgot your second part of your question, Jim. Well, what was but, well let, me, let me go back for a second, because that implies that Stanford, maybe they had you in mind, not as the, uh, the, the choice, but at least that the process that could go quickly because they knew you, they knew the other candidates. Is that the impression you got? Is that they already sort of knew your background, so then you simply had to go and go through the process. Is that fair? Actually, I don't think it's that the case at all. I okay. think that Stanford was really in deep. I think uh, uh, they wanted Coach Vargas to stay for a long time. Uh, had not, it was uh, you know he, he decided to step down in the the middle of the winter quarter here. So um, they were a little bit in scramble mode, but did a phenomenal job. I think having to interview tons of candidates and really do their due diligence and work, and uh, somehow they were crazy enough to end up with me. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I feel lucky. Yeah. Um, the, the other question was essentially, you know, you've been, again, very successful. You've been on the coaching radar for some time. So clearly there's been other opportunities out there. Have any interested you? What has happened in the past? Yeah, I uh, um, definitely have been interested in coaching college for a very long time. And as we, we it's well documented in, in the water pole world, there are very few jobs that open up in general. So um I had I had turned down a, a job or two in the the last you know five years six years, but I I mean the goal really was I want to compete at the highest level I uh, want to make sure that I you know I'm still I feel still young in my career this is what I want to do for the rest of my life I was pretty sure of that for a long time and so wanted to continue to put myself in environments where I could compete and coach at the highest level and see where that took me. So Stanford had always been the dream job, always, you know, kind of in the back of my mind, my fiance uh, went to Stanford. She was a volleyball player here. Um, my grandfather was a professor at Stanford. My mom grew up basically on Stanford campus. So I, I'd always wanted to be up here and uh, yeah, just, I said, like I said, I've said this many, many times, but couldn't feel more, you know, lucky and humble, humbled in a lot of ways and excited just to be up here. That actually addresses, you know, one of the, I don't know, is there, there's a, always a SoCal versus NorCal kind of thing. And one could get the impression, Harvard-Westlake, uh, UCLA, LMU, you're a SoCal guy. And suddenly then you're in NorCal, but you've made it pretty clear that you have pretty strong connections up there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Actually, the thing is, is like I've only lived in SoCal. I went, as, as you just mentioned, I grew up in Southern California, went to Harvard-Westlake High School, went to UCLA, went to LMU. I was 22 years old when Harvard was like hired me. So I have not left. And so I've actually always been eager to leave, uh, eager to <laughs> do something new and be, be somewhere new. So, and, and by the way, traffic in LA is, you know, oh, at this point. Oh, really? You don't say. <laughs> so uh, that I can tell you that is much more enjoyable in NorCal. Uh, is it? I mean, one, I've, I've lived all over. And when we left, when we left Northern California, 280 was still manageable, but one, holy crow, not so much. Anyway, you you're, you you live in basically one of the most beautiful spots in America, if not the world. So that does help quite a bit. And it's nice that you have these connections as well. That's, that's really good. Although, uh, Brian, surf is much bigger, much colder, though, much colder. We're talking dry suit kind of weather. Yeah, I'm not a big... Um, this is going to sound crazy, but uh -oh. my players know this. I don't get in the water very much. I'm like not a big get swimmer. I think I got that out of me. So uh, I actually lived in Manhattan Beach in Southern California. So I was I was by the water. I, I think I touched the water once, maybe twice. I'm not a big surf swim guy anymore. You know, I had that question, actually. Um, um, and it sort of goes back to something we, you and I have talked about before, which is there's um, there's sort of questions about 
a coaching philosophy, meaning that sometimes it's the players that were not so great, not like the greatest players that become the best coaches. And I was wondering that you, it doesn't sound to me, I never heard about you like hopping in and playing masters or, you know, getting, um, getting physical with your guys in the pool or anything like that. that. That sounds to me like that's the case. It's like, you just almost philosophically don't have an interest in doing that kind of thing. Um, absolutely. To your last point, absolutely no interest. In <laughs> and, um, and the players are so good now that it's like, I wouldn't, it would be a joke, but, uh, to, to your first point, I think, I mean, I'm, I was a, I would say an average to mediocre athlete. And so a lot of the ways that I felt like I competed or was able to compete at the level that I was doing at was I had to really understand and learn the game. And so I think that was incredibly advantageous to me. Um, I also was really small growing up. Um, Actually, I'm about six foot tall right now, but both my parents are about five, eight, five, six to five, eight. And I was really small for a long time. And actually, that was a huge, a huge benefit for me long term because I was uh, and I have a really bad birthday. I was born December 30th. So the national team kids out there that I, I feel your plight. It's really <laughs> born that it's like the worst birthday. So I was always the smaller, younger kid on all of the rosters. And I think that was really, really advantageous for me in my coaching career. Well, let's talk about that. So, um, uh, did you know that you wanted to coach fairly early on? And let's say even at Harvard Westlake, I'm not sure how young you you could be and know that you wanted to coach, but how did that start? And then what were you doing along the way once you determined that this was something of interest to you while you're still playing to become a coach? Yeah. So I have those, like one of those, I think, I think cool stories where I, um, I played for Rich Corso growing up and he really former helped. Olympic head coach. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Rich Corso. Yeah. yeah of course. Coach. Um, he was a Harvard Westside coach when I was there and he did a really good job. I think, I don't know, create an environment that allowed me to really love water polo. And I was the kid that at 11, 12 years old, it was right when they came out with desktop, like home computers and we would come home from practice and I would, draw plays on the computer and print them out. And I had a whole notebook of plays. I was like 11 years old, 12 years old. So I've always loved water polo. Coach Corso would pack my backpack with VHS tapes of all of the Olympic games. I would go home and watch them on repeat, repeat forever. So it's always been that thing. I think if I look back now going like, wow, I was made to do this or wanted to do this forever. But as you get going, it, it becomes difficult because I lived in LA, which was one of the most expensive cities in, in the world wanted to have a family, all of those things. And so really when you start thinking about that, you go, I can't do this forever. Like this isn't something. And, and I think we hear this all the time. Like, you know, what's your real job? I mean, how many people ask a water polo coach, what's your real job? Got that question and, just and yesterday. Yep. There you go. And uh, I, I hate that question. I hate that question for our profession in general and doing everything I can in my power uh, to fight that and change that. I really think it's important that we as a, as a, a sport change that. But um, beyond that, so I get to offer the job at Harvard Wilson, or I started coaching in high school. Love, absolutely loved it. Doing what? Had, um, I was like, a, this is this is actually true, which I was telling my my college boys about the other day. I was a, a tenant underwater pole coach. I started a tenant underwater pole coach, and I coached tens, twelves, fourteens, sixteens, and eighteens. I coached the same group all the way through, um, and I was. Yeah. So I started as a tenant or water polo coach and I, um, coaching at LA water polo club. 
And then as I started to love it, I signed up for literally, and I, if there's one thing I can tell any, all the young coaches out there, just sign up for every single opportunity that you can say yes to everything. And that's what I did. I was um, in the ODP system. I was the 16 and under C team coach uh, for, for a while for our zone. And I worked under a guy named Dusty Litvak, who is now the Princeton coach. And I just tried to learn. Like I was just always just trying to, you know, be on the pool deck learning, um, getting more opportunities and those opportunities. I, I tell, I tell my team all, all the time, opportunities breed more opportunities. And so I just kept showing up, kept being there, kept learning. And, uh, those opportunities gave me more opportunities. And, and now I'm the Stanford head coach. You went off to UCLA though, which of course, just to go back a little bit, you said you're mediocre. The fact that you make the US UCLA roster is something, right? So let's be clear about that part. But, you know, now knowing that you were interested in coaching at a very young age, what was your experience like at UCLA? Was it in some ways intended to simply, you know, move on to become a coach um, afterward? No, I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I loved water polo. So I wanted to play. Like I, I, I was still the 18 year old kid that was convinced I was going to be an Olympian. Um, and, but, but I will say a kind of life-changing moment for me was going to play for coach Corey at UCLA um, and be in that environment. He's pretty good. It, it, was, it was really at that point. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of people know uh, Adam as I think one of, if not the best coach in the world um, and just one of the best human beings in the world. So if you get to know Adam, just, an, you know, awesome person but he was a you know it's kind of the first person that really like professionalized the idea to me that it was like you know I could do that like I want to be like that guy um and I really really admired him from that point on I it was actually it was really tough for me to play for him I think one of the things that I think too is that I I ended up quitting at UCLA under AK and I was really resentful at the time. I was like, ah, this is so unfair. And it wasn't until like afterwards that I realized how fair it was and how, and so I, I really challenged like all kids like or all athletes, I should say that they don't really know what, how well, um, you know, how great it was or how great their coach was until many years after. And I, I just realized how lucky I was just to play for him and be around him and learn from him. And he's still a huge mentor. Um, he lived in Manhattan beach, and so I, it was, it was really nice for like the last you know year or two, I got to, to hang out with him a bunch and he's still someone I get to talk to pretty consistently. What so. do you mean by resented? You resented it in what way? Meaning like you, it was unfair. You, you sort of discovered that you may not have been as good as you thought, or did you think that say the coaches didn't recognize the talent that you had or something like that to give us a little yeah. more about that? I was a total hotshot in high school. I thought I was, I thought I was the bee's knees. Um, and so I came out, I was a national team player. I thought I was going to walk into UCLA and that was, you know, I was, you know, deserved or entitled to something. And that was definitely not true. And I think um, Adam did a, like a wonderful job of, you know, um, I think trying to help me in that process. And I think one of the best things that I did was like in my career, I mean, it was super helpful for me to go through that process in the long term. And it was yeah. really tough in the meantime. It was really hard for me to, you know, I was put on basically the C roster and college bait, like never really played, had to just sit there and kind of, I don't know, it was, but it was a really meaningful process for me and something that I don't know if I make it here where I am today without going through right. it taught me that I needed to work hard and everything I do. It's like all of these really powerful lessons that I got just having to sit there and work hard and, or try to work hard 
um, and then kind of go back and evaluate that process afterwards. I think that's crazy important. I have a little bit of a similar story for myself. I was not nearly as good as you, but there was this point where it was sort of like, this is, this is unfair. And in hindsight, as, a, as somebody who's more grown up, you, you, you could be tempted to say, oh, I wish I wasn't resentful of things at the time. But in some ways, it's actually really useful. It's very valuable. It's, it's sort of like, it's, it, it, you look back and you think, I was wrong. But, at the, but, but to then try to go back in time and say, I shouldn't have thought that I was so great, it actually can work against you in some ways. And it sounds to me like that was your experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's helpful. It's motivating. I mean, I suspect at some point, like you're going to prove people wrong that, you know, that you have a different talent, that you're a good coach instead. Yeah. I, I just think that it, what I really appreciated about it was that AK stuck to his values. He like a really like, uh, like stuck to his principles, his values. And I wasn't meeting the standard and the expectation to play. That was the, the, the bottom line. And I think that was a really valuable lesson for me to learn. It's also been really valuable in teaching, I think, athletes at a young age about that process and trying to help them overcome those obstacles. I don't know if I was, I don't know if I had the tools at that point in my life to overcome it. And so definitely looking back on it, not resentful in AK or coach course or anything like that. But I think you need as a coach, you need to push their athletes hard and they have to learn to overcome things and fight to make teams. And it was, everything just came really easy to me at a young age. And that wasn't really good for me. That was actually really bad for me. And I think it, it taught me at least how to work really freaking hard. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. Hi, this is Tony Azevedo, five-time Olympian, uh, and you are listening to the Total Water Polo Podcast. And now, part two of today's conversation. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your experience. Um, you know, when you and I last talked, you've been, I think, like your first week of practice or something like yeah. that. So you've had a month. And by the way, uh, Coach here has been coaching all weekend. Therefore, he's got that cool raspy voice thing going on. I was too, but I wasn't yelling as much as you. It was nice. <laughs> I, didn't have I wasn't to... yelling. I wasn't yelling. Oh, of course not. <laughs> of course you weren't. Well, don't say you were smoking or something like that. But anyway, so, <laughs> um, so uh, you've now been there for over a month. What? I, I'm super interested in what was the first week like? What was it that you had to get done during that week, either in the pool or out of the pool? And sometimes I'm leading to something because I sort of know part of the answer. It is, uh, uh, it is in some ways funny how specific and how granular you became with here's what we're going to do. So give us a little bit about what that first week was like. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this idea that you go to college or you go to the higher levels and all of a sudden there are these new super complex tactics or skills that just younger athletes are not able to do. And that I, I believe that couldn't be anything further from the truth. They are just way better at doing the small detailed fundamentals. So I think 
I think what you're alluding to, and this is what we talked about our last interview was, you know, the first day of practice, we got there, we didn't work on six on five. We didn't work on five on six. We actually worked on streamlining. We worked on the way we were going to push off the wall. We worked on the way that after a swim set or before a swim set, the way you're going to hold the wall, get ready to go to push off the wall. Really basic fundamentals. Um, we worked on the way we picked the ball up. Just really, really, really base fundamentals. And so that's kind of how I've always thought about the sport. And I think it's been really beneficial to work at a school like Harvard Westlake that is incredibly selective in terms of its admissions process. So we don't always get, you know, six foot five. I mean, people think Harvard Westlake and they think Ben Halleck, but, and obviously an amazing athlete, but not every kid there was Ben Halleck. And a lot of my job was to teach water polo. And so it was a, a great environment for me to be in for a long time. So the way I think about coaching is very similar to the way a teacher would teach in a classroom. You can't start learning calculus before you know algebra. And so the people that are actually really good at calculus are just incredible with the fundamental math, like base math level uh, classes and fundamentals. And so I think about water polo the same exact way is that we have to start at this base and really build this base. And then we can just kind of slowly build on top of it. But what these guys are really good at is not anything that is so special. They're just much better at the fundamentals at the basics of what this sport, uh, what, what you need to do in the sport. Let's get into a little bit about uh, something I, I think we would call culture, really. Like you're trying to establish a culture of some kind. Um, so I'll, I'll get into it. There's a, there, is, there are some who have thought that over the past few years that Stanford has been very good, but maybe not something like tough enough or sharp enough or something. There, you've seen it, water polo bulletin boards and stuff. It's like, oh, they should have won more often. And I know this is at risk of making it sound like an attack on your predecessor, John Vargas, and maybe it partially is. And so I don't want, I don't want to be unfair about that, but how, what is the culture that you would say that you're trying to instill and how might that be different from your predecessor, whether it's uh, positive or negative? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's tough to, to talk about what the culture was when I wasn't there. That's not fair. Okay. And fair I, enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm also the first one it's really easy to armchair quarterback on these types of things. And I think we have to all really be careful. I'll use my own example. In 2015, we lost to modern day and, uh, and Harvard was like lost to modern day and we lost. And there's a, like that result is we'll live on forever. But there are a lot of things that happened before our championship game. Like guys got hurt. Ben Halleck was in a cast for three weeks. I don't want, this is not for people to go, oh, they should have won or anything like that. That's not anything. But people just crushed me after that. And they were like, ah, he's, and he is uh, not a very good coach and uh, totally out. Like, I just got crushed for a long time. I mean, there was a lot of people out there that, you know, we had won in 2013, 14. People totally forgot about that. Came back in 15, lost. And I was the worst coach ever. I blew it, blah, 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 blah. Definitely there are things I could have done better that year and I wish that I had done better and blah, 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 blah. But long story short, I haven't been here. And so the fact, like, I'm not going to sit back and say that he, like what it was before, I can tell you that, I mean, obviously we, we deal with a really, like Stanford's going to have its own challenges as you can, we can all imagine, which are things that people already know. It's an incredibly selective admissions process, which limits the people that can get in. There are uh, challenges in terms of, 
of uh, classes and, and, and managing guys that are, I mean, some of the, the guys, I mean, not some of all of the guys on the team are brilliant. These guys are the smartest kids, young men in the world, in the world. I keep saying kids, by the way, I'm so used to hard work. I'm, like I'm on board men. with that. They are kids, and I still go feel, ahead. I'm exactly, I feel the same way too. Um, some of the young, smartest young men in the world. And so they are going from uh, doing these elite computer science classes or engineering classes right into water polo practice and just the pull and tug on their time as we can imagine in the world today, especially this last one, stress is a really scary thing. So there are a lot of challenges about uh, at Stanford. And I think personally, those challenges are what makes the place so special and unique too. I mean, this place is not interested in not being second place in anything. They want to win at everything. We don't want to just have the best students. We want to be the best team in the United States. And so the goal for me is to be in contention for a national championship every single year. Um, beyond that though, like I said, this a lot at Harvard Westlake and feel like, feel this Stanford is always going to win a lot of water polo games. I, I would have to imagine, um, we're always going to win a lot. I don't think the standard for our program should ever be win a lot or win championships. It's going to be a lot higher than that. We, we want to be the best at everything that we do, uh, starting with the way we carry ourselves and handle ourselves on an everyday basis. And hopefully we are producing eventually great, you know, uh, fathers, husbands, uh, you know, uh, role models in our communities, uh, world changers, things like that. that. Those are the things that really are important. You know, I got asked my interview question, my, one of the interview questions at Stanford, which I loved was, and it really got me thinking, was how would you define a su successful career at Stanford? And my response was, um, which I think I actually, I, I, I liked a lot, uh, was <laughs> I, um, I hope that the guys that after they graduate, they look back on their time and they thought it was worth it was one part of it. And then two, that they go on to be amazing at all the things that I just listed. So, you know, if they're going to spend 20 hours a week where they're getting working super hard in the pool, they look back on that going, this was awesome. That that was a really valuable, important part of my development and growth in life. Um, so I went on a long tangent there, but my long story short is, uh, while winning lots of championships and all those great things, I also hope we're doing a lot better than that. Is, um, are you guys tough enough? Like, are they tough? Like, the, and here's, here's where that question comes from, especially from say Europeans who look at these young men who they view as being very, very privileged. They come from places that you know, where they can quote unquote afford to go to Stanford, that kind of thing. So give us a, your impression of your guys now and who are the ones that you want to recruit in the future? I have always said this and you can look back at like post pre pre interviews with me. I worked at Harvard Westlake. I've worked at a school that demands excellence in every single domain and discipline on campus. Stanford is that and more. Um, in my opinion, and these are the toughest kids in the world. Undoubtedly, They're, that is, I, I say that not skipping a beat at all. Um, when you are pushed all of the time and the expectation is to be the best at everything that you do, it's impossible to not be tough. It is impossible to not be tough. And we want kids at Stanford that want to be the best and not just at water polo. Obviously, that's not you know, I, I, there's no one that loves water polo as much as me. <laughs> um, and, but we don't want kids that just want that. We want kids that are going to want to be elite students, 
um, elite ambassadors for, again, um, the school and beyond the school. And so those are the types of kids that we're looking, we're looking at. And I think the school does a really good job in its vetting process too, trying to find those kids um, that, that are challenging their, themselves in their schoolwork or they're doing well in school. And obviously uh, we're going to look for kids that are handling themselves the right way, acting with the highest levels of character and the way that they play and act with their teammates and coaches, officials and the community, and then, you know, really talented players. And let's talk a little a bit of philosophy in the sense that um, you uh, you basically put out a, a, a bunch of um, lessons during the pandemic. So we know that you have something of a system or at least something that you rely on, let's say, about counterattack tactics and things like that. So but, but let's um, roll that back to recruiting. Would you say that you are more interested in finding athletes that kind of fit your expectations or that you will you're flexible enough to alter your coaching in order to get certain talent that you might not otherwise get. Yeah, I think, I think I've, I hope it's the second one, right? I don't think you, you can survive at Stanford or a school like this. If you're not flexible, that you're all, you're already going to be limited just by the admissions process in terms of the number and the number of athletes that you're going to get and who you can get on a yearly basis. And so if you're not flexible, I mean, Again, and this is just top of mind because I just went through the interview process, but I think one of the best parts about being in a school like Harvard Westlake for me as a coach was that you don't get, people have this idea that you're this rich private school, you get anyone you want, mm -hmm. anywhere comes in. People don't know that I only got one transfer in 11 years of being in school there. Look at the other teams in CIF Division One. Only only one transfer. We, we can now, name the schools that got transferred, yes. Yeah, and, and it's not, it's, that's not to mention, that's not to mention that I didn't have amazing players because you know, like Johnny Hooper, Ben Halleck, those kids are once in a generation type players. I mean, like, so I also don't want to make it sound like I, we, we were hurting for athletes, but I think one of the good parts for me was that I had to be really flexible. I had to always be changing and thinking uh, a little bit differently. And so we talk about those base level of fundamentals and ideas like that, but there's obviously tons of nuance and fun ways to like be creative within the confines that are given to you and it made it really challenging it made me have to be flexible with the way i was thinking and adapting to different situations and players so you know there's gonna be years years here where we get great talent and then there's gonna be years where it might we might have just a couple tough years i mean hopefully that doesn't happen and hopefully we do a great job in our recruiting process but but help them then teach those guys that are, that are here, how to play and how to get better. And all, I mean, all those, people, that, I don't know. So that's a long, well, again, a long way of saying <laughs> the second one, be flexible. Here's a, here's a divergent question. Since we last spoke, MPSF announced that Augustana and Washington Jefferson are joining. Um, it's a, I, I would say that it's a controversial issue and it has been ever since my friends from Austin college were included and all of that on the, on the women's side. And I'm just curious about what that does for MPSF. What, what's your impression of that? That's a tough question for me as an, as the newbie the into, new guy. I can tell you, uh, that I am excited that we have more teams in our conference uh, that puts the conference in a better, healthier situation. Um, I want to like diverge from that question a little bit, just because I don't have a wealth of knowledge in terms of like how beneficial that is for the entirety of the sport. I am excited by the growth of our sport. And I think uh, we, as a, like a sport that we have to continue to grow and get 
uh, more universities playing playing our sport, more coaches, and improve the coaching quality at the at the schools. And so that's that's definitely something I'm very passionate about. It's why I did all the COVID presentations and things like that. But excited to have the, them in our conference and and put our our the NPSF in a in a better, healthier position. I said uh, the women's side for Austin College. That was a mistake. It was the men's side for MPSF. So, yeah, just to correct that. Um, let's, again, talk about a sort of a larger question, which is something that I spoke with your mentor, Adam Gregorian, about, which is, do you have any concerns about the future of collegiate water polo? And, and in, a, in particular, we have this new issue, uh, the name image likeness issue, which in which prof- um, uh, athletes that, that are playing in college can monetize their images and so on. Um, we can have a debate whether that's a good or bad thing. I happen to think that it's probably pretty fair, but the, the, uh, how does that fit in with your expectations for your team in the future? I think everyone's trying to figure that out right now. I think that that is a, <clears throat> I've been here for five weeks and that has been something that we have talked about almost in every coach's meeting. Interesting. Is that, really? Is it stuff? I just think that there's, Obviously, in our sport, we're probably a little bit behind what is going on in things like basketball and football at this point. But it seems that uh, to, to your first thing, first thing that you mentioned, which was that you think it's fair. I actually I sit with you on this. I think the issue is really difficult to solve. I think it's been really unfair that universities and the NC2A make a lot of money from these athletes that are doing these amazing things and putting this at work in and they're not getting paid. I think that's completely unfair. How to solve that issue, I do not envy the people that have to solve that problem. Um, So to the second point of that, which is where we stand now, is it feels like in the very limited time again that I've been here, it's the wild, wild west out there now that it is trying, trying to figure out where these things stand. I know that Stanford, one one thing I appreciate really deeply about the institution is they're really thoughtful about their approach with these types of things. They're not going to go, we're just jumping right in. They're going to be really think through their stance and how they're going to handle these things. It hasn't again, hit our program. I think deeply just because water polo yet isn't really entrenched in the NIL stuff yet, but I do think that the future of college sports is going to be really interesting. It's not going to look the same. Um, with with all this stuff uh, changing, that is a conversation I would love to have with you and uh, and somebody like Alex Rodriguez. By the way, for, for Division Three, we've had that conversation many times because I think you're exactly right. I worry about it. I'm you know that that's my own editorial. Like in 10, 15, 20 years, I could see it looking very very different, and I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be the way people think it is. But that's again my own opinion. Um, I will and, and I will spare you my uh, opinion of the. NCAA since you are now <laughs> knee deep in that job so, and I don't have to worry about that stuff so I'll, I'll spare you that stuff uh, what, what else did you want to cover we only have a couple minutes here left is there anything else that you wanted to share about your experience before we get out of here oh man it feels like it's been a whirlwind honestly it's been one of those things that's uh, I haven't had a second to really sit down this is my first full day off since I've been yeah out you here. mentioned that yeah um, you're rest so- your voice yeah, exactly. So uh, I've just been in lots of meetings and moving and getting everything set up here. So haven't had a chance to to really uh, sit down and take it all in. You know, my big thing, James, and I've said this to you a million times, is that I just hope that there are young coaches out there that 
that kind of hear these, these types of stories. And if I can be at all helpful in that, I hope that they reach out in their, in their kind of growth process, just because I was that person for a long, long time. And I think these people, so a lot of people idealize like my journey and my journey hasn't been this like, oh, he was Harvard Westlake and then he won a lot and then he went to Stanford. I mean, as I said, I mentioned this earlier on, I was a 10 under water polo coach. I then coached 12s. I was a 16 C team coach for a long time. I signed up for every opportunity that I had and um, was really eager to move on from Harvard Westlake, even though it was an amazing place. And that took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. And so the journey hasn't been as smooth. And so I hope that uh, I, like I said, I can be a resource or helpful and uh, hopefully we can, you know, grow this population of young coaches and, and really make our sport something special. I'm going to hold you to that. I got a guy who wants to go to California to learn how to coach. So I hope you have a couch that he can sleep on. Um, that is the new Leland Stanford junior university head coach, Brian Flax. Thank you so much for your time, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.